Computer, initialize Holosuite. Welcome to Random Trek Review, the podcast where we analyze, discuss, and review randomly selected Star Trek episodes. This week, Matt and I take our European carryalls and we head out deep into the desert to review Deep Space Nine's indiscretion. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good today, Andrew. I um, Maybe this is too much information for our listeners, but I have new insoles in my shoes and they are very good. Oh, well, there you go. It's good because we're going to be out in the desert in the thick, thick sand. Like, it's going to be deep and it's coarse and things like that. Yep. My, when my, my feet are happy, I'm generally pretty happy, too. Well, good stuff. Good stuff. Um, actually, uh, interestingly enough, um, Matt and I live in, uh, like, central Ontario, I guess, is where we would probably, like, kind of central the Toronto Southern area. Ontario, yeah. And uh, Toronto is kind of where they're filming uh, Star Trek Discovery right now. And uh, over the weekend, I actually went to uh, Kelso Conservation Area where they did some of the filming of, I can't even pronounce the episode now, Savivis or something like that. Um, <laughs> and with those weird aliens that were like, like let's attract both sides of the brutal war to see what if they can make peace right exactly <laughs> so basically that uh, bit where they have the uh, like telecommunicator area and yes. they have to like get up to that like ledge that's just like down the road from us so i was there this weekend to do a little bit of star trek uh you know sightseeing it was kind of cool it actually looked like pretty much identical except for you could tell that they had like photoshopped out like the highway and stuff and put in like mm. trees is so, that have highways on that planet? No, it wasn't actually. Oh. No, it was uh, it was mostly <laughs> trees. And it was like all kind of like, the trees were red and stuff like that, but you could see that they just kind of put a filter on. It was kind of cool actually. So um, definitely worth a check out if you are uh, in the area. But um, I've been there myself, but I didn't realize that I was on the site of a Star Trek uh, That's show. true. You probably walked <laughs> right along because it's actually kind of like the main path along the Niagara oh. Scarf Escarpment, right? Yeah, probably. Well, there you go. You walked in the same footsteps as, like, Saru and Michael Burnham and all those guys. But not nearly as fast as Saru. No, no, exactly. You're not running, like, <laughs> 80 kilometers an hour. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm a little bit, uh, I'm a little bit kind of uh, dodging my score from last week, um, which, obviously, I, I kind of had, had a bit of a miss here, but I'm, I might as, might as well get it out of the way so we can get into the episode. Um how did I do? And uh, you know, give me uh, give me a score out of five metal fragments of the Ravenock. Well, I, I'm, I'm sad to say that I'm, I'm you know you were you, you made a valiant effort uh, in the face of having no idea what the episode was about. <laughs> the episode we described sounded like it might be kind of interesting. Maybe they should go back and. I feel like there is an episode where that happens. Um, a couple, yeah, I think. Probably. Yeah, there's certainly a, a, at least one episode where Odo has to do a crazy investigation and it turns out that he gets the wrong person. Um, unfortunately, I'm, I'm going to have to uh, give you uh, zero out of five metal fragments because yeah. um, yeah, this was a bit of a, a bit of a stinker, but it, it, it's the first, I'm sure, of many. Yeah, I think um. that that's just the big goose egg. It's going to happen 
It's going to happen every once in a while. So hopefully, yes. if you're playing along at home, that you did better than I did. Um, I, but, yeah, I hope so, too. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> oddly, in my defense, you didn't have... You weren't coming over the uh, the Sandy Hills as a cavalry either, right? It's oh. just one of those odd, like... It could have been anything, right? Like, I feel like that title could have been in any series, could have been any episode. Like, it's really kind of vague, right? The title, so, the title was no help whatsoever. Yeah. Okay, well, let's I, take a... I also probably would have gotten zero, too. Yeah. Just the luck of the draw, right? Um, well, let's take a look at this episode, which is Deep Space Nine, Season 4, Episode 4. Original air date, October 23rd, 1995, with guest stars Mark Alamo, Penny Johnston, Roy Brocksmith, and Sia Batten. Uh, written by Nicholas Correa and uh, directed by LeVar Burton, interestingly enough. I didn't actually know that, and I didn't notice when i was watching it either that he directed it i read about it after and i was like oh interesting yeah i kind of feel like uh sometimes you kind of forget about him right because like frakes and some of the and Stewart and all these guys did it in tng um but a lot of the stuff that uh, lavar burton did was like in deep space nine and then he did some in voyager and i think he did an enterprise or two as well he made, yeah he did multiple yeah he's, so. he's got his hand he's got his hands in all of them i think yeah, and i mean he's perfectly good like i feel like all the episodes that he's done are the yeah. ones i can think of anyway are I mean, great. I think it's kind of a cool thing, actually, that they um, they encourage the people that are on the shows to, like, if they want to try directing, they're like, yeah, have, a, you have your hand yeah, at it, which is cool. True. Isn't, isn't he doing a Discovery episode this season? Um, I don't know. Maybe. I feel like I saw pictures of him on Twitter, like, hanging around Toronto. Oh, okay. That would that definitely he's be. directing an episode. But I, I, that might, I, may be thinking, I may be thinking of Jonathan Frakes. But Could be. Sure. I know that Frakes definitely posted a picture of him with the CN Tower, and he was here yeah. doing a an episode but yeah, i guess i'm sure lavar burton will get his turn eventually it would make sense right he's yeah. definitely done enough series of it yeah all right well let's hit the synopsis it's kind of a long one so uh need a big deep breath here um here we go here's the synopsis uh kira's old bajoran friend uh raz kakarn has purchased an interesting piece of scrap metal that may shed some light into the whereabouts of a missing cardassian prison ship the ravnarok the ravnarok as Kira packs to search down the missing ship, Captain Sisko informs her that the Kardashian government would like to send somebody along to help. Shockingly, they choose Gal Dukat, or should I say, Legit Dukat. Kira begrudgingly brings him along for the trip, which leads to some great banter between the two on their way to the Badlands. Once they meet Razka, they get the peace and deduce that the ship may have crashed, landed on an M-class planet in the Dosanian system. They rush to the planet and find that the ship did in fact crash there, apparently killing 12 people. While Kira tries to find out what happened to the Ravnarok by checking out the computers, Dukat identifies the dead. When Kira comes back to check out on how he's doing, he, she finds Dukat very upset, crying over a Bajoran commitment bracelet and a Bajoran earring. It turns out that Dukat had a mistress named Naprine, as well as a daughter from, a, from the relationship named Zial. Because of Dukat's precarious place within the Cardassian government, as well as his wife and seven kids back home, he has no choice but to kill Zial and seal his dirty secrets. Kira vows that she'll never let him do it, and as the two fight, they discover that the survivors are imprisoned by the Breen to mine some dilithium. They go to break the prisoners out, and Dukat eventually can't bring himself to kill, to kill Zial, deciding instead to take her back to Cardassia and to be the father that she had always hoped that he would be. In a completely side B-plot, Sisko and Cassidy have a minor fight about the state of their relationships on whether they should move in together. Um, I just kind of tacked that on at the end because it's a little bit uh, a little bit kind of like this is most certainly an A-plot and a B-plot, and there's really 
so. You tacked it onto the end, just like they tacked it into the end. <laughs> you and the writers, uh, they think, you think alike. Think alike, exactly. All right, Matt, well, now that we've kind of hit the synopsis, what, what did you think? Give me, like, a little quick overall impression, and I guess, you know what, if you can remember what you thought of it when you first saw it, then tell me about that as well, but this one, what do you think? Yeah, as far as like when I first saw it, I would imagine it was during the original run because I was pretty religiously following Deep Space Nine in season four. So uh, I don't really remember anything too specific about the first time I saw it. It was just, it was there. Um, as far as what I thought, I don't know. I'm not a big fan of Ducat. So really? Okay. No. That's uh, maybe worth talking about. Um later a little bit later but yeah. that's that's uh that's a that's a definitely a deep cut i i'm not a, i just well we can talk about it later on but i because this was a very ducat heavy episode i wasn't really that crazy about it um i mean there it's an important episode for a lot of reasons but it's sort of we'll talk about a little bit later on about how it sort of sets a lot of things in motion but um i, I mean i thought it was like okay hmm, okay interesting um, I like this one. I always like Kira episodes because um, I always just really like that character, and I do like Ducat as well. And I, I kind of agree with you that this is a bit of a tentpole episode in the sense that um, it introduces some things. And I also think that um, this is kind of where you start to see Ducat and Kira's relationship changing. Um, it's interesting that you say that you don't like Ducat because I feel like there are definitely like very distinct Ducats throughout, like the season one to like straight villain. This is where he starts transitioning into kind of being more likable. And then, you know, you get the cult leader Ducat later on and all the rest of it. Um, so we can maybe even talk about our favorite Ducats and least favorite Ducats. But um, in terms of the episode, um, yeah, I think it's a pretty good one. So um, let's just kind of look at a little bit of the background and development of this one. Um, I don't, there wasn't a whole ton of stuff on this episode specifically. No, um, no, apparently, no. like a lot of the writers were big fans of the 1956 film The Searchers, which I've never seen, but... Um, apparently it's kind of based loosely on that and the general story arc of going and finding, um, you know, missing ship or what have you was kind of based on the same thing. Hmm, interesting. I would have to, uh, look it up one of these days. Oh, also, um, it turns out I, I didn't, again, this is maybe one of the downsides of, um, doing this in kind of the way that we're doing it, bouncing around and things like that. So Ducat is a legate now in the last episode he was promoted um, it may be very difficult to kind of determine where these things are and stuff like that. Like even when um, Cisco comes in to visit Kira and she calls him captain, I was like, oh, okay. So like, we're definitely like in the captain phase, right? Oh, and Worf's here. Like, it's almost like when you kind of just jump in, it's like when you would, used to want to watch it on TV, right? Like, right. oh, where are we in, in this world, right? Yeah. Um, and luckily we've each kind of seen it. So we kind of can just move the arrow as we go. Yeah, he was, I totally, when I was writing my notes, I wrote Gull Ducat, and then I was like, oh, wait a minute, he's a legate now. Yeah, and I feel like he's back to being a Gull, like, relatively soon. Like he gets oh, yeah, it doesn't last long. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's sort of a, almost like a sequel to this episode a little bit further along, and he's no longer a legate. Yeah, he, he's, he blew he's back to a, He's back to a lowly Gull. Yeah. Yeah. Now, this is the first time that we see the Breen. Uh, they're mentioned in The Next Generation, but this is the first time we actually see them. And they we, well, I mean, we, and we don't actually see them because they're wearing those, like, helmets. The refrigeration suits. The refrigerator, yeah. 
Yes, because apparently they like it very cold. That's right. I mean, that makes sense, right? I actually kind of like this aspect of thing. I always kind of feel like sometimes in Star Trek they should try to do more stuff. Like, I'd love to see, like, a four-legged uh, alien in Star Trek and stuff like that. I guess, mm. like, uh, species, like, eight, eight, four, eight, four seven, seven, two. two was multi-legged, right? And there was, yeah. like, that little dog thing in Star Trek Beyond. But um, I think that, that I like when they see do stuff like that, right? So, like, the yeah. fact that Breen's, like, a cold is really cool. Yeah. I mean, they always kind of get that. Remember in Return of the Jedi when uh, Leia like breaks into Jabba's palace and she's got like the Bausch costume on? It's like basically the exact same. But other than that, <laughs> I always thought that it looks really cool. Yeah. Um, now, I mean, this is kind of like we said, it's very heavy uh, Kira. It's very heavy Dukat. Just kind of a subplot with Cisco. But um, Odo is in it for two seconds. Bashir is in it for two seconds. Quark's in it for two seconds. Colmini. Not in it at all. Were you kind of surprised to see that, or was that just kind of like, eh, whatever? Considering the story, I guess it kind of makes sense that he wasn't in it, because, I mean, where do you, like, how do you shoehorn him into this episode, unless, like, he's going to give, like, relationship advice, too? Like, you can only have so many people doing that before it gets a little ridiculous, so. Right. I mean, I, I was kind of surprised when it got to the end, and I sort of thought, and I was like, wait a minute, there was no O'Brien in this episode, but. Yeah, if it doesn't fit, it doesn't fit, right? Maybe he just needed a week off. Yeah. Yeah, or maybe he's probably getting ready for some other episode or something, right? Yeah. Um, and so this one was directed by LeVar Burton, and I guess the same thing, too. Sometimes I feel like when they have, like, these um, Star Trek alum doing the directing, you think, oh, do a, you know, do a Jordy LaForge, like, cameo, but it makes no sense, right? Like, he did do that once, though. Yeah, no, he does. It, it does happen <laughs> on occasion, but, um, you know, if it doesn't make sense, then it doesn't make sense. Right? Like, oh, don't just yeah. want to have all these guys like just showing up like hey I'm on vacation I'm here right like um, I think it's best just to kind of um, you know direct it and then and I think when LeVar be... Burton did actually do it was kind of out of necessity because they're like oh wait a minute we need someone to like be this captain and there's no money left in the budget and he's like no I'll do it give me a uniform I'll, yeah. I'll do it <laughs> And then I guess the only other real kind of point of interesting, we were talking about filming locations and how, it, you know, it's kind of nice to be just down the street from where they're doing Star Trek Discovery. This is kind of during the era where everything's like Los Angeles, right? Or at least just outside of it. Hollywood, um, yeah. Hollywood, a little bit yeah. maybe up the coast and then maybe even San Francisco. So um, the exteriors here, like that desert I talked of, um, is shot at Soledad Canyon, uh, where they also filmed Homecoming and then they used it again for the ship and uh, Rocks and Shoals. So... Uh, yeah, next time that we're in Los Angeles, you know, we bomb over there, we can probably go out and hit up a bunch of filming locations. I know that, like, in and around L.A., there's just tons. So yeah, we can, find that, we can find that scene where O'Brien was, like, selling Kira off to those Cardassians in the homecoming. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> and, I mean, like, even, like, there was an episode of Voyage, remember, where, like, they went to, like, the, uh, like, it was actually Los Angeles. Like, remember, they yep. went back to, like, 1990s Los Angeles and stuff. So, I mean, yep. they've done so many. Or San Francisco, we could go and do, like, uh, Star Trek Four. Star Trek Four. You can wear your bandana or your <laughs> sweatband. <laughs> Give the Vulcan nerve pinch to a guy blasting his stereo on the bus. (laughs) All right, so let's jump into the plot. Um, I kind of broke it up a little bit different this time. I think that uh, I kind of want to look at the teaser and look at the acts individually, just kind of chunk it up. Um, The teaser here is pretty straightforward. Kira's meditating. Worf gives her a call up. Again, there's Worf. He's only in it for a couple seconds, right? 
Calls yeah. her up, says you got a phone call, space phone call, and it's her old friend. She hasn't seen him and heard from him in a while. He maybe has a lead on the ship, and that's pretty much what it, all it is, right? Like it's that's just it, a yeah. teaser that kind of is like quite literally a tease. Um, the only thing of kind of interest is um, Kira's meditation practices. Like they change pretty often, eh? Like I feel like every episode is kind of like a different thing, and this one was really strange because they had two candles, and yep. she was standing with her hands hovering above the candles, but then yeah. when the camera shifts, she was like 10 feet like behind it. Like It wasn't like she would be able to feel the heat over it. It was kind of like she was like way farther back. And yeah. it, was all, it looked really looked really cool for a shot, but like in terms of actually praying like that or what have you, I don't really think that it would do much. Did you notice that or just whatever? Uh, not really. <laughs> I, mean, I think I think you're right though that like the the meditation. It, it seems like every time they show Kira meditating, it's like something different. Yeah, I think that's maybe that's like a Bajoran thing. Every time it's got to get keep it keep it fresh, keep it new. We get bored doing the same. Or or maybe she's like cutting edge and she's constantly like. Pushing the oh, this, this this there's a new meditation technique that's come out, and she's like, "Oh, gotta try it." <laughs> it's all the raise. Exactly, yeah. Kira's on like paleo, and she's also like <laughs> a new uh, new <laughs> meditation uh, acts as well. Yes, uh, she's she's like all about the trend diets and trend meditation techniques. Okay, I, I like that. I dig it. I definitely can go for that. So then that swings us into Act One after a little theme tune, um, and I mean in. The, Act one, Odo and Kira kind of have this little conversation. Odo says, yeah, you know what, you got to go. Um, and then Cisco tells her that um, you've got to take a Cardassian with you. They leave it a little ambiguous, but of course it is European carry-all carrying Ducat. So, um, Was there any doubt? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, kind of, right? Like, like what, the, is it going to be Garrick or something? Like, a, Right, <laughs> or just like generic rando, right? So, I mean, this is... Um, this is i laughed like when he beams in and he's got like the side sash european care i was expecting him to say like i can never find anything in here you know like it was um it was that good right um, it's not a purse it's european it's european it's Cardassian. <laughs> so it's ducat uh were you surprised or did you remember uh, well, I remember that it was Ducat from when I first saw it. I, I don't know. I wasn't really that surprised. I mean, he always... It's always he Ducat. always shows up. Yeah. I mean, later on, you do maybe get a couple of other people. But yeah, it's it's in this era, it's definitely Ducat every time. Yeah. Um, now, the other thing, they have this kind of an interesting scene with um, Cisco, and he's talking with um, Dax. And... I just, I don't know about this scene. It was just very, like, I know that this whole B-plot is kind of a, a side thing anyway, but did you find anything weird with his delivery and of his lines here? And some of the, especially, like, when he's like, yeah, and he's got his eyes really wide. Like, he was just acting weird, and I couldn't tell. Did you think that was on purpose, or is that just kind of, like, setting the stage that he's going to be uncomfortable with this throughout the whole episode? I think it could be both. I think it could be that he that there was like maybe some overacting going on, but I think I think it was also I think you mentioned that he was like maybe a setup to for him being uncomfortable later on. That kind of makes sense to me too, but I think there may have been some like overacting going on. Yeah, like almost like a little hammy or something, right? Yeah. But I, I wasn't totally against it. I, I was kind of like this. It, it was either like Cisco was going to do one scene and he really was kind of trying to chew the scene. 
Um, or he was, yeah, trying to set something up that maybe was kind of, I don't know. It's just, I, I thought it was a little weird. Nothing, nothing too crazy in the, uh, in act one. Um, act two, uh, this is mostly Kira and Ducat bantering back and forth on the six hour trip to the Badlands. So, yes. um, the Badlands, I just want to talk about that for a second. Um, I always thought that the Badlands was kind of a cool thing. Because then it was like the Maquis could hide out in there. If you ever had to like meet up with somebody shady, you meet them in the Badlands, just like um, with Razka in this one. Do you like the Badlands as like a plot device, or do you think it's kind of like a cheesy space back alley? Oh, I think it works great as a plot device. Um, it's kind of interesting how the, how the look of it kind of evolved, because when I think it first was in the maquis and it was just mm-hmm. this like sort of like dust cloud and then it sort of evolved like visually into this more sort of menacing it's like tornadoes in it tornado and stuff. yeah exactly and then and then like right at the end of deep space nine like it was like things were on fire and uh, yeah it, it was pretty cool throughout the series and I, I mean i thought it was a good plot device as like as far as like if you have some like clandestine meeting, it's 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 always in the Badlands, right? And I don't the Badlands are like relatively close to Bajor, right? I would have to, I would think so, yeah. It's close in Star Trek Online. You can just go zip over in like two seconds, <laughs> so it must yeah, be accurate. Yeah. Um. So amongst this banter, I mean, I don't want to kind of give away uh you know a lot of the really good lines here, but um I think this is, for people who like Ducat, this is why they love him. Because he just gets Kira's goat, right? Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> he seems so genuine. He seems so like honest, and he really wants to help and stuff like that. But every single thing that he says, it's just like that little dig, and he just gets under Kira's skin, and I mean by proxy, gets under like the um, the skin of the you know audience as well. Um, there's a couple of things. So um, the line where he's talking about Kira's friend, he goes, oh, who was it? A friend, a comrade, a lover, you know, like just <laughs> just kind of digging a little bit. Um, and then he eventually calls Bajor a weak race that was choking on their own independence. Um, and he goes on later to say that because of the occupation, you know, Bajor is now like this big, great, uh, you know, planet and they are like, they own the space station right next to the wormhole. And like, it was actually thanks to Cardassia that Bajor ended up in such a, a great spot that they're in it now. Um, are you buying it? Is Ducat right about Bajor? In his own mind, I think he thinks that he's <laughs> right, but I, I mean, it's, it's up for debate, right? I mean, I, I mean, I guess you could argue that you know, oppressing these people and forcing them to fight for their freedom like made them tougher, but you know, is that the right way to go about it? I, I, I don't know if I agree. Yeah, I would definitely say no. And I mean, this is something that comes up all the time in Deep Space Nine, right? Where yep. Ducat thinks, or he at least has convinced himself that he is doing the he did the right thing and that it was actually super beneficial. Um, and I think it's just one of those things where this is where you really start to see a lot of that. In the first two seasons, it was like he was just a villain, straight up. Yeah, he right? was just like the cackling, right. you know, maniacal cheesy, villain. maniacal villain from you know the seventies science fiction movies right and now he's more like he definitely has like a fascination with kira like that all starts like right now and also this is kind of more like he's trying to he's trying to you know tell them his point of view i mean kira's not buying it by any means but the audience is left to kind of um you know decide on what who who they're going to side with i suppose 
Um, the other, again, the, again, this is going to be kind of a flip-floppy kind of thing, because, I mean, the other half of Act 2 is the dinner between Cisco and Cassidy. Um, this was really real to me. I don't know if this, like, seemed real to you, but, like, I think that this is, like, a pretty standard, like, you know, maybe not uh, everyday relationship kind of thing, but, like, this is something you see in movies and TV shows and stuff like that, where, you know... He's going, oh, what's wrong? But she's kind of picking up on some sort of subtext and getting upset about it. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I guess there, it's the whole, it's the big step conversation. And I guess yeah. my question to you is, whose side are you on, Cisco or Cassidy? Oh, boy. Um, Remember, we probably have a bunch of female listeners as well. So, you, know, <laughs> <laughs> you got you to make sure that don't you don't answer a, wrong. I don't, I don't think there's a right answer here. I think this is a trick question. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I found this whole B-plot to be a complete waste of time. <laughs> I don't really have much to say about it. No? You didn't you didn't care for the dinner and her getting upset, throwing the napkin down, rushing out? I don't know. I guess it's good television. It's dramatic. I, I don't know what to say. Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree. I think that it was one of those things where every time this stuff was on the screen, I was kind of hoping to get back to the Dukakira stuff like okay hurry up work out your problems let's get back to the real show here right and i mean it's like it's it's a uh, two, two people a couple deciding like are we going to move in or not this seems like more of a rom commy kind of thing um i don't know i didn't think it was that big of a deal like moving her moving to the station is that really as big a deal as her moving in with him well i, I mean, think it's, it's like it's like moving to the same town yeah, that's true. Or how many people are in Deep Space Nine, though? Like, uh, uh, a few hundred. I would think so, yeah. Yeah, that's true. I think it's just kind of more like it was implied that eventually they would move in together. Uh, I guess, yeah. But it's a big step. <laughs> it's a very big step. Very big step. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and then uh, in uh, Act 3, I guess, you know what, since you're not really feeling the B plot, let's kind of get that out of the way. Um, in Act 3, this is where uh, Dax and Bashir gives Cisco some advice, and uh, Quark also, um, you know, pokes his head in. Uh, my question here is, how amazing was this scene? And is this what makes Deep Space Nine characters so likable? Okay, this scene made the whole B-plot, like, tolerable. Because <laughs> okay. this scene is a, it's a great scene, you know? Dax and Bashir, are, they're not really giving him that much advice they're, they're i think they're sort of just helping him sort of talk his way through it and then quark pokes his head in and just like gives them the old ferengi <laughs> the ferengi take the, the hot ferengi take the <laughs> very like the scaldy hot ferengi take on like how to treat your women <laughs> and, yeah. um I, I mean i don't agree with what quark said but i thought it was pretty funny the way he sort of but matt who knows more about women than quark everybody <laughs> Yeah, no, I, 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 it was a great scene. Yeah, I know, and I think you're right that this is sort of how why Deep Space Nine's characters are so likable because you have scenes like this where it's very, I don't know, real, very, Definitely. yeah, very real. That's right. Yeah, yeah, I could see like sitting down and talking to friends like in a similar situation, right? Makes them very grounded. I mean, I don't know if I have a quark-like friend that would like pop his head in and say like. Uh, Oh, hey, you should just, you know, if they want to see you, then uh, see them less. You know, that'll show them. Um, I don't know if that's the case. Um, he also has, like, a really throwaway line that I think is maybe worth just kind of talking about. Um, and uh, Bashir says something to the effect of, 
Um, it's no wonder that uh, Ferengi's reproduce at all. And Quark has the line, that's what hollow sweets are for. Did you pick up on that? Yes. And yeah. so um, I guess that's basically saying that like the hollow sweets are open game. Like you can have sex in them, you can turn them into whatever you want. I think that may be the first time that's kind of mentioned or kind of brought up and just straight flat out said. Yeah, that was yeah, that was an interesting line. Like, oh, that's what hollow sweets are for. Yeah, there's there there are definitely some implications with that line for sure. Yeah, and I think that even other episodes, Quark even had like romance novels and stuff like that where it was implied, which is like this is not TNG anymore. Yeah, well, there there's a, an episode where this uh, guy played by Jeffrey Coombs actually like wanted him to make a hollow sweet program oh, with like right. major Kira. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so. You can do a lot of uh, unscrupulous things with a hollow suite. That's true. And actually, if you remember correctly, in Next Generation, uh, Barclay got in big time trouble for that. Remember, he had yep. like uh, he had somehow got the skins for like Riker and Troy and like Beverly. He was like going on like picnics and stuff. But it was a little bit more on like the sweets. Like it was kind of played more for like a laugh and like sweet side. Yeah. This yeah. is like flat out like Quark is like, oh yeah, like I have sex in the hollow suite, <laughs> which is, I mean. <laughs> I mean, hey, we're in a brave new world, right? When you're out at the edges of deep space, like, things are different, right? Always knock before entering the hollow suite. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so back on the regular A-plot, we've got Dukat and Kira. They find the ship. Um, they have to land, of course, because of the ion storms, um, yep. which, is always the, uh, which is always the case. Uh, Dukat is loving the heat because... You know, he's Cardassian. They love the heat. They and they find the ship. They find uh, 12 dead bodies. Um, Dukat makes a, a whole ordeal about how, you know, the Bajorans, they don't care about the bodies of, uh, you know, they only care about the soul. I will look into it. Okay. Yes, so, yes. Um, of course, the reason why he wants to do it is he finds the, the bracelet. He bracelet. finds the earring. He's super, super upset. Did you feel sorry for Dukat? And did you believe him? Um, I never really feel sorry for Dukat. <laughs> I mean, he, he does all these things to himself. Like, you know, he's married and has kids, and yet he's got a Bajoran mistress. So, I, I don't know. I don't really feel all that sympathetic towards him. Uh, do I believe him? Like, as, like, as far as, uh, like, him feeling bad or upset? Right. Like, is this just a show, or do you think he actually yeah. feels bad? I, I would think that he would feel something, at least. See, the only thing is, is if you remember, remember like Kira's mother also was his mistress. So I feel like he's just got a million. Like, I think yeah. that this is kind of the beginnings of, again, like Ducati's he's got such a bad rap sheet if you actually just lay it all out. But it's, there's something, he's got like that greasy politician, you know, like he ha definitely has like a, like a likability. Um, and so of course, in order to kind of, um, get a more of a light moment the uh, thistle scene where he goes yeah. to sit down in the cave and he gets like the thistle in the ass um <laughs> is this good writing to caught from villain to gray and did you laugh at the thistle thing or do you think we're all in your eyes i think you know i when i watched this i kind of forgot about that so i sort of did sort of smirk a little bit when it happened because i mean that's pretty funny like a guy you know this badass Cardassian like sits down and he gets this like shard you know in his rear end and he's you know and he starts laughing and then Kira starts laughing and she hands him the medical thing and he's like this thing doesn't work and she's yeah. like you have to turn it on uh, it's yeah like, it's 
I thought it was a little bit of, I mean, it's sort of a bit of comic relief, I guess. And I think I it guess. also kind of shows a little bit of vulnerability that he's, you know, he's, you know, he is, as tough as he is, he's not like infallible. He's not. It already himself. hurts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was kind of a, it was a good scene, I thought, and it was you know well timed because it was right before they you know it was like go time. We gotta rescue these these prisoners. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree, and I think that it's it's one of those things. I've seen it done better, right? Like this is the classic: the tensions run high, and then they kind of bull, you know, go into laughter, and they they can't like help themselves. It's just kind yeah. of like something needs to break the tension. Yeah. So I've seen it done better, but you know, I definitely appreciated it in this episode. Yeah, no, it was good. All right, and then off to Act Four. Act Four is almost entirely dedicated to um the breakout the prisoner breakout um it starts with ducat and kira and is there any species that has better floofed hair than cardassians <laughs> i don't know yeah no I, I i don't think there are many i love cardassians floofed hair well i think it's because when they're like in their normal state it's always like perfectly, perfectly slick black back, so then yeah. when it's like disheveled even a little bit it just looks hilarious exactly so um they're walking across the desert they're kind of debating it um it's kind of interesting because it seemed like uh after the big laugh it was like they were gonna kind of you know get you know kira was starting to kind of see another side of Ducat, and then he immediately kiboshes it by saying like yeah i'm gonna kill zl he doesn't even hide it he's just like yeah it sucks but i'm gonna have to do it so now they're back fighting again um and it is um it's some good banter. It's not quite as good as the stuff on the shuttlecraft, I didn't think. Um, but uh, it's kind of an interesting thing, this idea that like a biracial Cardassian Bajoran, they're treated so poorly and it would ruin his uh, reputation so badly that it would just be better. Like, I'll just, he says, I'll just kill her. And that will just kind of solve all the problems. Um, did you think that this is something they could have maybe delved into a bit deeper or do you think they did a good job with the whole like biracial thing or was kind of just yeah i don't know if ducat's motivation was so much that she was biracial i think it was just more that it was like a child out of wedlock and i mean cardassians are so family oriented like the family is everything i think that's more what he was worried about was knowing like it coming out that he'd had a child with another with a woman other than his wife right so, yeah, he does mention that they were treated poorly during the occupation oh and i guess i missed that yeah, he does mention it, but I think that's kind of like, because if you're Bajoran, then basically it looks like, you know, Cardassians are trying to, you know, like, they're obviously not, you know, it's either a Bajoran person who went against Bajor to, have, like, have a relationship, or somebody who, like, did it against their will, right? Yeah, so, like, the yeah. children doesn't look really great, and if you're a Cardassian and you see a biracial person, it's basically the same thing, but in reverse, right? Like, they see Bajorans as, like, lower, so yeah, it yeah. looks bad in that case, so they're kind of just mm. stuck in the middle, I suppose. I mean, I guess it depends, I guess it, I guess it depends on what you think Ducat's motivations really are, like, whether he's looking out for himself, or whether he's looking out for Zeal. Right. And, and I tend to believe that he's more, he's more worried about his own reputation than... Yeah. And right. I mean, I think that's probably a safe bet throughout most of, most of the series, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they get to the, the compound. We see the Breen for the first time. We talked about that a little bit. They're doing some dilithium mining. 
Um, the breen has always been have always been kind of like a really cool species in um, Star Trek. Are the breen good because of the suits? And they're kind of cool. They don't talk, anything like that. Or is it just because they're rare? They actually don't show up that often. I think there's only a handful of episodes where they actually have a major part or even a minor part. Um, what's your thought on the Breen and um, keeping them rare? Does that kind of make them cool? Um, I think that they are seen so rarely and that you never actually see them outside of their suit. I think that sort of gives them a bit of a mystique that does make them kind of cool. I, I mean, I'm... I don't know, I'm kind of indifferent about the Breen. I, I mean, just because they don't show up that much, I guess it's not, I haven't seen enough of them to really form an opinion, although they yeah. did join the Dominion, those Yeah, masters. the very end, right? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think that that's kind of thing, one of those things, if they trotted them out every week, I think it might get kind of a bit boring, especially since they don't really speak, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, there actually was a little tiny bit where Cisco and Jake kind of have like the father-son talk, but kind of in where the son is giving the father the advice. Um, the only thing well, it's really Nog's advice. Advice, right? Yeah, <laughs> from off screen. Yeah. Um, the only thing I thought was interesting was that Jake said that he was saw, he was talking to Nog at the Vulcan restaurant. Is there a Vulcan restaurant on Deep Space Nine? I thought it was a Klingon restaurant. There's definitely a Klingon. There might also be a Vulcan. Well, he says it, but I was wondering if it was like one of those things where like it was only for a short period of time, went out of business. I don't know. Maybe I don't. Maybe. I don't think you ever do see it. And I always thought, like, in the original series, isn't they, aren't they always riffing on how, like, Vulcan food is, like, awful? Like, all they eat is, like, lettuce and stuff? <laughs> I wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> I imagine their food would be very logical. Right, like, it'd be filled with nutrients. It'd be, like, uh, you but know... But it would be bland as hell. Beans and, like, uh, lettuce and <laughs> Brussels sprouts and stuff like that, or whatever the equivalent well, But no, no seasoning or flavor. No, no, no. Like, like, there's no creamy sauces or anything <laughs> like that. It's only healthy stuff. Yes. Um, that's true, actually. There's no fat Vulcans. No. I've never seen one. No, I've They're never all seen skinny. one either. They got really broad shoulders, some of them, but no no fat ones. No, So that's they true. must eat healthy. Yeah. So that takes us into the final act, which is the big prison breakout. Um, did you like the prison breakout? I mean, they're back in, like, generic Star Trek cave, right? Like, it's kind of uh, de facto, really. But um, pretty good tension, you know. Ducat's looking for uh, Zial. Kira's looking for Ducat. I thought it was pretty good. What did you think of the big finale? Part of my problem with this episode is that there's no explanation whatsoever um, as to how Kira and Ducat got their hands on one of the Breen suits. No time. I noticed that because when they were like behind the rock, this stuff got discussing like, what are we going to do? You yeah. know, they, she even sends him back to Deep Space Nine for reinforcements. And he's like, no, I'm going to, you no, know, I'm staying. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, it was just no time. Like, I think they only had like five or 10 minutes left of runtime, but that is kind of a big thing. Right. Cause green are tough, but there was no, like, there wasn't even like any like brief discussion about like, okay, how are we going to go about this? It's just like they cut to the cave and all of a sudden they take the masks off and they're there and it's like, how did that happen? Like, yeah. Did they like pack a spare Breen refrigeration suit <laughs> with them just in case or did they like... Yeah, how do they know how to work kill it? Kill some like guy in his sleep? Yeah, 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 just... But otherwise, I mean, I thought it was a pretty decent scene. I mean, there was like that moment where like Ducat walks in and he finds Yell and he's got his rifle like trained on her yeah. and it's like, oh, is he gonna do it? Is he gonna do it? I actually thought that scene was kind of sad when 
she says that uh, you know she dreamed of him coming and taking her away, what kept her alive. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and there was another question I actually had for you was that um, Kira mentions that she's a 13 year old girl. Um, and yes. She looks really small. This is actually ZL one. Like they recast the actress. <laughs> yeah. Um, so is there like an age jump, and it is uh, one of those things where they just kind of like well, whatever they just kind of whisked it away, or is it is it actually that much of a difference between? Because like by the time she is well, at, living is... on the station and stuff, like I feel she's like seventeen. Because isn't she in a relationship with? Well, so okay, so she's 13 here. This is season four, but at the end of the series, she would be 16, 17. And dating Garrick? Oh. Um, I don't know what that That seems a little. Yeah, I, it seemed like when the final actress picked up Zial's character, I feel like there was an age jump. Like, bit, I yeah. feel like that actress was like in her 20s at least. Right. And made so, it a little bit more believable, right? Yeah. The other thing that I thought was kind of a bit of a waste, in, uh, in my opinion anyway, was that uh, when they f- are talking to the prisoners and um, Ducat takes his mask off, the prisoners are like unaware that the Cardassian Bajor occupation is over. And yeah. he's like, what's that guy doing here? You know, and she was like, ah, there's a treaty. Um, was that kind of a missed opportunity? Maybe they should have maybe done that like in another episode or something. Like, I thought that was kind of a... A kind of it could have been very interesting, right? Trying to explain to somebody who's been kind of cut off and like in, living in a prison, mm-hmm. like what's going on. Yeah, that would have been kind of interesting, but I mean, like we said, they did, we were kind of pressed for time to sort of explain that to them. So. You, and you know what's even worse than that is when Kira's like, Where's that friend of mine? And it's just like, Oh, he's dead. <laughs> like a rock fell on his head, he's dead. Like the whole the whole thing has been like about finding it, and it's like, yeah, oh, don't yeah. worry about him, he's dead. No, he's dead. Sorry, he came all this way for nothing. Yeah, like something else came up. Uh, the ZL storyline came up, so like, who cares about that guy? <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, so, did you find that disappointing? Yeah, that was. Uh, yeah, I thought that was disappointing. I thought it would have been nice for Kira to find her long lost uh, friend from the Shakar Resistance right. cell. But say la vie, and then obviously Cisco and Cassidy make up in the least shocking kind of conclusion to the the episode um do we care does this even belong in star trek was a question i'd like is this the kind of stuff that makes the characters likable for later on or is this just kind of schlocky b-plot stuff that like you could do without well you know i think it does have a place in star trek um I mean, Cassidy Yates is kind of an interesting character. Like, it's not like she's just like some bluesy or anything. Like, mm-hmm. she's an interesting character, and I think it's probably oh, yeah. good that they sort of kept her in involved with you know by having sort of going through this little um, tip Captain, with yeah. with Captain Cisco. So yeah, I, I I mean, I thought it was I wasn't crazy about the 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 story in this particular episode because it had nothing to do with anything but you know i have no yeah. problem with it here and there as long as it kind of fits with the the story and and the characters are good yeah it's watchable yeah yeah all right so that's the plot done and dusted um let's just kind of take a last uh, final thought on each of the characters um one of the nice things about deep space nine is that they have like very obvious arcs throughout so um we're kind of just looking at a small tangent here but i think that it's definitely worth um, worth looking at. 
Um, so Ducat, obviously we talked about how he was a villain early on. Now he's kind of transitioning. What did you think of Ducat's arc in this episode? And I mean, we obviously kind of know where he's going, but just talk about like in this episode, did he make any gains, lose any gains? Where, where did you see him? Um, well, he definitely sort of evolved beyond the sort of cackling uh, sci-fi villain. There's sort it, it sort of adds a little bit of I guess ambiguity to his character. Like he's not just, like you sort of get the feeling that like he thinks what he's doing is right, mm-hmm. and that sort of adds. I think that adds a lot of depth to his character. So um, this is sort of where we kind of start seeing that from Ducat. So and that's. Like I said early on, like this episode was kind of like a starting off point for a lot of things, and this is this is one of them. Yeah, and I mean, even just the point that now he has like a half Bajoran, half Cardassian daughter, like, and that's going to come back again and again, right? And the fact that this could potentially change like his family life, his job, everything like that. So um, I think this is a big episode for Dakot, and I, this is when I start to like him a little bit more. Is when he t- kind of turns into this more, um, you know cerebral character that you're kind of never really quite sure what he's up to or what he's thinking so um yeah. i think that uh, yeah i think that this is a definitely a big episode for dakot um zl obviously it's an important episode for her because it's the first time that we see her um she doesn't do a whole ton um and i feel like she wasn't bajoran enough in a way um did you think that the makeup looked good like i feel like the later um ZL's the makeup's a little bit different like they have a bit mm. more of like the nose ridges and stuff like that yeah um what did you think of ZL's not even arc but the beginning of ZL's story uh in this episode um I thought it was uh, sometimes it's tough getting these sort of characters into the flow of things I thought this was actually not a bad way of doing it um having her be on this ship that got attacked and you know, eventually captured by the Breen, it seemed like a sort of a plausible explanation of like where she just like her, she wasn't just conjured out of nothing. It was actually some pretty good thought put into it. So yeah, and they definitely I love that they left it ambiguous too because he says, "Oh no, they were just taking this ship to like go live on like a paradise planet, like off wherever, right?" But it's never exactly like they never confirm that. Like they could have easily just been prisoners sent off for you know whatever but um i I definitely do like that there was kind of that again ambiguity um yeah zl i think that uh, she gets way more interesting than this in this one she's just kind of like a sad like oh poor kid like you know that's kind of a crummy deal um so let's move to cassidy yates and um you know obviously this is right in the middle of their relationship and so do you think that we gain anything fresh anything new from cassidy from this episode or is this is this just kind of, you know... I think it kind of, like, affirms her sort of independence. Because mm-hmm. at the end, she just says, you know what, I don't care what you think, Ben. I'm just going to take the job anyway. So I think it sort of gives a little bit more... Like, she always sort of came off as, like, this sort of independent kind of person, right? And I think this sort of adds to that part of her, her character. Yeah, now, did you think that the Cisco arc was also kind of good? Like, he's obviously still getting over Jennifer and everything like that, and he does mention that and stuff like that. Or is this just kind of like he's the bad boyfriend? I think it's a little bit of... I think it's more that he just was nervous and, and, mm-hmm. and sort of um, out of practice. Okay, yeah. So I, th- I think maybe it was a little... Like, and I think as a result, he sort of came off as being a bit of a jerk. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, there, there's kind of... Um, 
Cassie's a little bit stereotypical in that uh, like dinner scene. It's almost like the, I don't want you to do the dishes. I want you to want to do the dishes. Like there's yeah. a little bit of that going on, but I think overall, um, yeah, overall it's a it's a nice little step, albeit a baby step, but it's definitely a step in the right direction. Yeah. Um, the only other character was Raska, which was Roy Brocksmith. Um, who was what famous uh, Star Trek alum? So he uh, he previously appeared in uh, the Next Generation episode Peak Performance as everyone's favorite overbearing and annoying Zach Dorn by the name of uh, Sirna Kolrami. Oh, good knowledge. Good yeah. knowledge indeed. Now, Peak Performance, that's the one where the Enterprise goes like way faster because he has like some sort of super uh, intelligence and he can set it up to go... Peak performance, they do the battle simulation. Remember, they like right. Riker takes command of that like derelict old piece of junk ship, right. and they have that like battle simulation. Yeah, and he he was the guy that was like in charge of in that. charge of running it. Yeah. What what am I thinking of? Where they go faster than they've ever gone? That was the traveler. So traveler, not the traveler. Yeah. Sorry. Um, yeah, so peak performance, yeah, that was the one where they had the battle simulation. That's actually a pretty good episode, if I remember correctly. It's not bad, yep. Not yeah. bad at all. Okay. Um, all right, and just some odds and ends. Um, we kind of already talked about things, so Matt, tell me, what was your favorite line from this episode? Uh, my favorite line would be uh, when Kira and Dukat are in the runabout, and um, they're bantering back and forth, and, and Dukat just keeps going and going, and eventually Kira says... Um, I don't remember what sort of brought this on specifically, but she goes, you are in love with the sound of your own voice. Yeah, that's a good one. That Again, I like the banter with Kira and Ducat, especially yeah. in, in the runabout. Yeah, um, for me, I'm going to take uh, whiny Ducat. It's a little bit on the cheesy side, and it's a little bit of a, like a knee slap, but I'm going to take, it already hurts, just because <laughs> it led up to one of the best Ducat scenes, which is him bending over with that like uh, medical thing, like, you know, <laughs> Doing the sore ass thing, so yeah, that um, was that, that. Well, we talked about that already. That was a really, really funny. Yeah, scene. it was pretty good. I definitely liked it a lot. So uh, hit me with your final thoughts, and you know what? Let's just go for it. Give me your rating out of five thorns in the ass. Yeah, like I said at the beginning, I wasn't crazy about this episode because it's you know it's so heavily featured Ducat. Um, I, I mean, it wasn't terrible. I thought it was, like, you know, fairly well-written. I mean, I think part of the reason I don't like Ducat is just because he's... Mark Alimo does such a good... I find him really creepy. That's what sort of makes me not like him. So you don't like him in a good way. Like, you're not supposed to like him. He's the bad I know, I know, exactly. I just... I find him creepy. Like, yeah. there's, like, not... Like, there's, there's villainous and just being a bad person, but I just find him really creepy as well. So, um, anyway... Uh, I'm gonna go with um, uh, I, I I'm gonna go with two thorns in the ass out of Ooh, Ooh okay. Um, I uh, I like this episode a little bit more than you. I think that again, uh, one of the things with Deep Space Nine is that you know they they definitely move things along, and this is kind of when it starts to get very almost serialized in a way, right? Because a lot of this stuff comes back again. Um, I think that the B plot was kind of meh. I could have probably taken or left that. Um, I also think that the ending was kind of rushed, unfortunately. They, they set up all this good stuff. I don't think it was good enough to be a two-parter, but it was definitely, um, you know, the last 15 minutes was like, oh, shoot, we're running out of time. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Uh, so I'll give it three out of five. Um, definitely a solid episode, definitely worth a watch, and definitely memorable, although I didn't remember it. So there you have it. 
All right, and I guess that does it for this week with one last little bit of business. It's actually the most stressful and worrisome part of the week where I'm going to reach into the deep, dark top hat that we have here each week and pull out a new fresh episode for next week. Uh, I'm going to uh, tell Matt where uh, it comes from, what uh, series, what season, what episode, and he's going to do his best in one minute's time to see how much he can remember. I've been dreading this all week. Yeah, no doubt. All (laughs) right, I better just uh, dig in here nice and deep. The best ones are obviously at the bottom. Of course, that's where the best ones always are. Okay, let's see what we got here. Okay, ooh. I don't know if I like the look on your face. Oh my goodness, I cannot believe I just pulled this out. This is unfair. This show is unfair. All right, right, let's, let's have it. It's Voyager. Okay. It's season one, episode nine, and the episode is called Emanations. All right, so while uh, Matt just collects his thoughts there, uh, I'm just going to remind everybody at home, grab a sheet of paper, grab a pencil, grab your brain, pause this episode, write down as much as you can, and then uh, you can start up, see what Matt has to say. I literally just watched this episode like... like day or two ago it's killing me <laughs> that i didn't get this one last week but that's the rules that's the way that it goes sometimes so yes. uh matt please tell me about emanations now I, it's been a little while since i've seen this one but they the crew investigates this strange substance that they detected on an asteroid and they find all these like dead bodies and as one of these dead bodies is being transported, Ensign Kim accidentally gets beamed back. And so he wakes up in this, like, coffin, and he's, like, banging on the, the outside of it. And they all think that he's come back from the dead. Meanwhile, the crew is, like, you know, they're trying to figure out what happened to them. And they, I don't know if they ever figure out where he came from or not. But, you know, Kim is all, like, they're they're all like oh what's what's it like when you die and he's telling them that they you know he ended up in an asteroid full of dead bodies and they're all like oh we can't have this and he ends up switching places with this other guy who's like scheduled to be uh like ritualistically killed and he ends up back on voyager and that's all i can remember in one minute that's real good that's real good. That's basically it. Yeah, they show up and the bodies are all wrapped up in the like white cloths and stuff, and they think that they go on to like this amazing heaven, and it actually is just like a space time thing where they get sent and they just get dumped on an asteroid, and then Harry Kim goes back and he meets up with a guy, and the guy's family is like telling him like that he should die and stuff like that, and then yeah. he starts having second thoughts and everything else. So, uh, well done, good memory. I literally just watched this one the other day, so. I guess that's just kind of the way that uh, that's the way the game goes. I mean, yep. sometimes you're going to get uh, ones that you know, sometimes you don't. So um, join us next week on Random Trek Review when we uh, take our first delve into Voyager and we watch the episode Emanation. Very exciting. <laughs> This show is brought to you by Hollow Sweet Media. 
Computer. List other available Holosuite media programs. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, Her First Trek, a Star Trek review podcast. You, have you ever heard of the Spock? No, but I just you're doing the hand movements, so I know exactly what it so, is. So I used to work for a guy, brilliant guy, good good mate, who used to joke about Spocking people. Where is this I know it's like if you didn't if you didn't bust your ass in work, he was going to Spock you. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that's... Oh. I mean, nowadays you couldn't really say that stuff. No. And you can only assume, if you put yourself in the... If you do the live long and prosper uh, gesture, you imagine, look at the hand, and if it's used in a sexual context of how one might be spocking someone so you might be entering two different places so to speak i think you should edit this out loading holosuite preview program for the janeway a star trek voyager podcast well i mean there's no covid19 in 2370 something no but you don't know what tuvakian germs he has Oh, he, he might might be a carrier. I don't know. I just thought it was gross. I'd have just used the spoon. I'd he carries like... the pond far. <laughs> oh, Neelix with pond far. Neelix with pond far, Suzanne. Why have you just made this something that's in my brain? Computer, deactivate Holosuite.